Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place this morning. He is here. And we are here. Good to see you again today. The Lord has been good to us this week. And we have come back to his house to give thanks, to honor him, and to be encouraged in his word this morning. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We will conclude, Lord willing, this chapter. We've spent some time here the last few weeks reading and trying to understand Jesus' own words regarding the last days, his return, and all of the events that will be associated with that time. Last week we talked about the rapture of the church and uh, that great hope, that great encouragement that we have that the Lord is coming for us and will take us to be where he is. Amen. Hallelujah. But at the conclusion of uh, chapter 24, we're going to read from verse 45 down through verse 51. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God's blessings accompany the reading of his word. Let's pray over the word this morning. Father, we give thanks for the precious word of God, the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. Its words, Lord, encourage us sustain us, feed us, strengthen us. We thank you for your word, O God. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives life to the word, who gives it form, who gives it substance, who opens our hearts and minds, gives us insight, gives us understanding, wisdom, and revelation. We pray for this today, O God. Let every heart and mind be challenged by the word of God today. Let it, let it take root let it bear fruit. Let not this word return unto you until it has accomplished all that you have ordained for it to accomplish. We ask it in Jesus' name. The church agrees. Amen. At the conclusion of this chapter and in the first half of the following chapter, chapter 25, I, I will not read those passages to you, but they should probably be familiar to most of you, a story about uh, uh, ten virgins and the bridegroom, and then about one about the use of the talents that were left by the landowner. And we, we know those passages pretty well, I, I think, but they all tie together here with the words of Jesus Christ at the end of chapter 24. He has spent the majority of this time talking about his coming. But now he gives his attention to uh, the attitudes and the responsibilities of those who he's leaving and whom he will be coming back for. I understand and, and, and get the, the hour that we live in right now. It's so easy to uh, take these words and put them into the context of the present moment. We're doing a little bit of that in our study of Revelation on Wednesday night. Sort of what would, what would it look like? What would the world look like? If, if the Lord's return was, was this year or next year, what would we expect to see happening around the world? And that's a, 
And that's a useful exercise. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a, a look at your circumstances, taking a look at what's happening in the world. I think it can be a, a, a very powerful reminder, a, very, a way of sort of keeping in tune with the, the idea of the Lord's return and, and, and making sure that the Lord's return is on our minds regularly. We should keep it in mind regularly. As I've said several times, the story of Jesus Christ is not finished. Just as we take time to uh, understand and celebrate His birth, just as we take time to look over the major events of His life, just as we take time to talk about His crucifixion and His death and His resurrection and His ascension, so we also must make time to consider His return. It's part of His story. It's the completion. It's the fulfillment of His story. And, and, and I've said to you, and I'll say it uh, one more time here, if the Lord does not come back and complete the story, then we are sort of left in, uh, in, in sort of a limbo. We're sort of left in, in a, sort of, a, a very transitional state. The Lord must come and complete what He has said He will do and for, in order for our salvation to be complete and in order for our redemption to be complete. Uh, he will appear the second time without sin, unto salvation to them who believe. And so we know that the coming of Christ is a necessary event. But here at the conclusion of this chapter and in the beginning of chapter 25, Jesus tells us what our attitudes and what our character should be in light of the knowledge of His return. What kind of people should we be if we are expecting Jesus to return? What kind of church is he coming back for? What kind of individual will testify through not only their words, but their actions that they are expecting Jesus Christ? Last week we were talking about the rapture. We mentioned those two special characteristics that apply to the rapture. Those two special conditions. The, the characteristic of imminence, and the characteristic of instantaneous. If we believe that the return of the Lord is imminent, meaning that it can happen at any moment, that there is no precursor, there is nothing that would prevent the Lord from coming even today, how and what kind of people should we be? If we believe that the coming of the Lord will be so sudden that we will not know He has come until after it has already taken place, what kind of people should we be? And in this closing uh, portion of this sermon, he tells us what kind of people we should be. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the individual. You can read any prophecy, teaching, any book, any commentary, and they will break down every little aspect of, of, of what every little symbol means. And that's really not my intention today. There's a time to do that. But today I just want to focus on the basic principles, the basic principles of watchfulness and faithfulness. Watchfulness and faithfulness. To be watchful is to, to be on our guard at all times. A watchful Christian, a one who is expecting Christ to, turn, to return, never takes their eyes off of the prize. The enemy's primary, primary strategy these days against God's people is one of distraction. One of constantly trying to get us to look in the other direction. To look all around us. To look horizontally. To look on the same plane. And we see this happening in, in the world right now. It, it's very easy to look over here or over there and and, and we see a storm going through Louisiana. We, we see these events happening in Wisconsin. We, we see what's happening over in this other country or, or this other nation. And, and it's, very, it's very easy to get caught up in the moment and in, the, and, and in all of the things that are taking place and take our eyes off of the prize. Watchfulness means that we are constantly on our God, constantly looking 
for the return of Christ. When Paul wrote to Titus, he said, looking for that glorious appearing and that blessed hope. Our, our, our vision, yes, we ought to be aware of everything that goes on around us, but that is not to define who we are. It's not to define our hope. Our hope is not in, and, and I understand this event in Washington, and I support it. This, this upcoming election will be a, a critical one for our nation, and, and we ought to come to it with prayer. We, we ought to come to it with, with seeking the will of God for, for the United States of America. I, I want to live in a country that is, that, is, that, is, that is blessed by God. I want to live in a country that is that God rains down His, His righteousness uh, uh, through that nation. And so we, we, we've got to come at this with prayer, and we've got to come at this with, 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 with a lot of uh, uh, introspection and, and a lot of consideration for what kind of nation we want to be. But we also need to understand that our hope is not in, in any elections. Our hope is not in who sits in the White House, but it's in who sits on the throne of glory in heaven. He is our hope. And He is the one we are to watch for. We are not to watch for the changing of a political party or, or the coming of a new administration or the coming of some new uh, uh, persons for the Supreme Court or a new Congress or a new House. I, I, you know, I think we, we, we would do well to get a new Congress and a new Senate, but, but you know, that's, that's not where our hope is and that's not where our attention is to be. We're to do our due diligence as citizens. We are to participate in the political discourse of our nation as the Constitution gives us the privilege and the right and the responsibility to do so. But it would be a mistake. They were talking about it in the Sunday school lesson to think that we can somehow redeem this world, that we can somehow make heaven come to earth through political means or economic means or, or social means. That is, a, that is a lie that the devil has been selling for generations after generations, and it's time the church called him on his nonsense. Jesus is the answer for this world. Jesus Christ in person, his own two feet setting on the ground. That is what's going to save the world. Our job is to go through this world as light, as hope, as salt, and, 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 and to stay in a constant state of transition. We live here, but our heart and our mind and our soul and our spirit is focused up above. It's focused. It's a state of watchfulness. The one who is, believes that the master's return is imminent will not let... I, 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 you know, I, kind of, I kind of got myself into this uh, sort of historical trend lately. I've been been watching a lot of uh, documentaries and a lot of programs about the, uh, the World War II era and the World War I era. And I don't know why I get caught up in these things. I just, I just find it fascinating to, to, just, to see how, different, how, how alike but how different the world used to be. And, 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 and I was watching this one program about the Queen and, and uh, uh, you know, the, the story of, of uh, the life of Queen Elizabeth and and, and you know, from the time she was, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you know all the details about how she came to power. Her, 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 her uncle was the king, but he gave up the throne to go and marry a, 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 someone who wasn't, a, wasn't royalty, wasn't a divorced woman, wasn't so. He gave up, and the queen's father became king instead, and then he passed away, and then she became queen. Very young, very young. I think she was 21, I think, when she... She became queen, and it's the story of her, 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 her story, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting to me. I, I find these things to be interesting, and her family, and, and, and all of the, the, the just the, 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 just the absolute catastrophe that her family is. But I, I picked up on some things in, in, uh, in the background there, and, and you know, the queen has several residences. She has a residence in Scotland. She has a residence uh, in Windsor, and she has a of course the Buckingham Palace. That I don't know if anybody's ever been to England and had an opportunity to visit. And these places are just magnificent. They're uh, unbelievably opulent, and they are staffed with 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 butlers and 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 valets and maids and footmen. I didn't even know what a footman was. I've learned what a footman was over the past few weeks, and and and. And even though the queen is, can only be in one house at a time, every 
house is kept in an absolute state of readiness. Every morning they wake up. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody, somebody receive this. Every morning they wake up and they go through the whole house. They dust every cobweb. They light every lamp. They, 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 they look at every table is polished. All the, everything is made ready just in case that day the queen shows up. And I tell you what, I took that in the spirit. I, I took that in the church. We don't know when he's going to show up. But every day we've got to prepare the house. Every day we've got to polish it up. Every day we've got to sweep out the crumbs and, and dust off the cobwebs because one day he's going to come through that door. And God, help us if we're not ready. Watchfulness. But then he adds a second idea here. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, and that is a theme of, of the, the, the three stories that he tells, or the three parables that he tells, the servants. The, and in each one, there's a contrast. I want you to see that contrast. The, 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 the good and wicked servant, the foolish and wise virgin, virgin and, the, and the industrious and lazy steward. In each of the stories, there's a contrast. Now, in, in all of these stories, he's talking about the principle of faithfulness in different kinds of, of applications. In the first story, the, 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 the good and wicked servant, it's, it's faithfulness to the ministry to which you have been called. Faithfulness to the ministry to which you have been called. You may not be a pastor this morning. Well, in my case, I am. But you may not be one. But God has given you a calling in your life. And whatever that calling is, whatever you task that you have been appointed to by God, there is a standard to which you will be held accountable. Even if that standard is nothing more than, than your own household. Even if that standard is, even if you are nothing more than the teacher or leader of your own house, of your own family, over your own children, there's a standard to which you will be held accountable. Faithfulness to ministry is the first thing he mentions. He's talking to his disciples. They're going to be appointed. Now notice, at this point, at this point, Judas is still among the disciples. We have not yet got to the to the, to the Last Supper. We have not yet got to the betrayal yet. And he speaks very plainly to them. He says, some of you, some of you will be good servants. Some of you will be faithful to the task and to the ministry to which you are called. But some of you are going to think in your heart, there's another way. I don't really have to give it my all today. Maybe I can, maybe I can just put it off, put off the calling, put off the ministry, put off the task, put off the assignment. I'll get back to it, maybe we tell ourselves. Maybe we tell ourselves that our season has passed and it's somebody else's turn. But let me tell you something. God is the only one who can relieve you of your post. Well, let me say that again. We have this tendency sometimes to think, that, oh, I'll do this thing that God wants me to do for a little while, then we'll give it to somebody else, and maybe it will work that way in some instances. But let me tell you something. My Bible tells me that the gifts and calling of God is without repentance. It may come, your ministry may come in a different fashion than it once did, but this much I understand. As long as you draw breath, as long as there is strength in your body, there is a task that God has given you to perform. Servanthood. Again, I will draw on my recent uh, foray into the, to the mysteries of the, the British Empire. Amen. Hallelujah. And the histories of the British Empire. There was a, a, a visitor to, in one of the, the programs that I watched, uh, there was a visitor to, uh, uh, to, the, to the grand house, to the master house, and was talking about his, his job. He was not a, uh, of the royal family. He was not of the the upper crust, you know, the upper class. He was, it was just a, sort of a village doctor. He came in, and he was, he was just conversing with the, the servants and conversing with the family. And he said, perhaps, uh, he said, I've got to work through, I've got my job to do this way, but perhaps I will come back and visit with you on the weekend. And the servants looked at one another, and they had a puzzled expression on their face. 
And one of the main servants looked up and said, what is a weekend? What is a weekend? In their life, there was no day off. In their life, they were expected to be at their post every day. In the life of a servant, in the life of a servant, there is no vacation. No time away. Oh, pastor, that's, that's not fair. Listen, let me tell you something. Do you want Jesus to come on your day off? How will it be if Jesus comes while you're on vacation? I'm not speaking of the physical vacation. I know we all need time to rest our physical bodies, but I'm talking about in our service to God. In the service we render, there is no laying your hand to the plow and looking back. When you accept the calling of God and when you receive the calling to ministry, it is a lifelong pursuit. It is a daily pursuit. No matter where I am in this world, I am a pastor. I am a teacher. I am called to minister. And many is the time that I have stopped my earthly occupation and my temporal occupation to fulfill my higher calling. The good servant is the one who is faithful to their task at all times. The wicked servant is the one who lays the task aside, puts down the responsibility, and indulges themselves. I want you to think about that for a moment. There are a number of things I, you know, it's funny. I know I talk about my life, but it's better I talk about my life than your life. Amen? I'll be the example for good and for bad. That's, that's the way it works when you're called into this kind of role. And there's a, there is a, a um, I've got sort of the reputation on my job, you know, where, and of course most everybody there knows that I'm a minister, that I'm a pastor. Few of them will call me even pastor. But they know that there's certain activities, certain things that I just do not indulge in. And they'll kid me about that sometimes. They say, no, don't you go, don't you want to go there? No. Well, there's nothing wrong with it, does it? There doesn't have to be anything wrong with it. It's not for me. I'm called into a higher service. And that higher service means that the things that others indulge in are not good for me. Not necessarily always because they're sinful, but because they are distractions that take away from the calling and the service to which I have been committed. There are things, I say this all the time, I've said this to, I've said this to other ministers, I've said this to, in teaching in the Bible school, I've said this, one of, the, one of the burdens of ministry is knowing that there are things that others can do that you cannot. You are held to a different standard. The one who is put over, I just, I, we, you know, we've gone through some growth recently, and I've had to, uh, several opportunities to, to promote some people. I, I like to promote people. I, I, I like to go to someone who's been a good worker, a faithful worker, and say, Listen, you've been good. You've been faithful. I'm going to give you an additional level of responsibility. You're going to be a, a lead now, or you're going to be a supervisor now. And, and, and I always have the same speech with them. I always give them the same message. There are things that you could do at this level, but now that you've been called to a higher level, you cannot do these things anymore. When, it was you, when, it was you, when you were there to just do your little job, run your little route, there were certain things that was okay. But now, because you've been put in this position of leadership, there's a different standard here. The higher up you go, the higher the standard gets. If you, want to just, if you just want to be like them, then stay with them. But if you want to move up, if you want to move higher, you're going to have to learn that there are certain things that will no longer be part of your life. And this is how it is in the kingdom. I know many ministers who just want to be one of the people. That's, wonderful, that's a wonderful attitude. All ministers should see themselves 
in the lowest possible way. But they should also understand that because of what God has called them to do, and because of the responsibilities that he has given to them, they're not just a member of the congregation anymore. They now have a particular set of responsibilities. Does that make them better? Does it make them higher? Does it mean that they're somehow superior? It just means that they have a greater weight to carry. And to be faithful to that. The second one he tells, uh, the second, I'm going to go quickly here. The second story he tells is about the foolish and the wise virgin. Remember, in each of these stories, there's a contrast. This is how a good servant behaves. This is how a bad servant behaves. This is how a wise virgin behaves. This is how a foolish virgin behaves. The second principle of faithfulness, the first one was faithfulness to ministry, faithfulness to the calling. The second is faithfulness in your personal relationship with the Lord. Faithfulness in your personal relationship with the Lord. This is a struggle for many who are faithful to the task they have been given, but turn the task that they have been given into the sum total of their relationship with God. You are to have a personal relationship with God that is independent of the task or appointment or ministry that you have been assigned. In other words, you might be a teacher, but you are still obligated to be a student of Jesus Christ. You might be a pastor, but you are still to have a shepherd over you to whom you are held accountable. You might be a great worship leader, a great musician, a great singer, but if the only time you worship and sing is when you're on the platform on Sunday morning, you are no longer qualified for that service. I've seen this happen in over 30 years of ministry. I'm sure, Reverend Fogel, you've seen it as well. People who are, who are very gifted and talented in ability and have great ministry, great impactful ministries, but their personal life is an utter disaster. Their personal life is an utter disaster. Now, Pastor, you know, my personal life is none of your business. On this we agree. However, it is every bit the business of Jesus Christ. And one thing you need to understand is just because you stand and faithfully minister the Word of God or minister in music or minister in some other fashion, this does not excuse you. This does not excuse any of us from the personal devotion and the personal relationship to which we are called. We are His sons and daughters first. We are the ones who are, have to have that relationship, and I've watched that relationship wither and die. It begins very simply. We begin, it begins with neglect. Notice the, the foolish versions. What was their sin? Their sin was simply one of neglect. They knew where the oil was. They knew how to get it. They knew how to keep it. They just neglected. How shall we neglect so great a salvation which first began to be spoken to us by the prophets and was confirmed? Church, if we neglect our own relationship with God, it will not matter how our ministry explodes. Paul was concerned chiefly about this, that he who had been a minister to others, he who had brought more into the kingdom than all before him, that he himself should be cast away. Do not neglect your personal relationship with God. Do not neglect worship and study, and devotion, and prayer above all. It's a struggle. I'm going to be, again, I'm going to point the finger right at me. This is my great struggle. I give out of myself every single day. If I do not take time to replenish what I give, I will soon be bankrupt. You cannot give every day to those who are around you. Serve every day those who are around you. Minister to those every day around you. If you are not daily yourself being ministered to. One of the reasons I, I don't like it from the time and expense, but I like it from, from this reason. One of the reasons why I enjoy having to go an hour to work every day and an hour to home 
is that one hour in that car every day is my Lord time. It's my God moment. Without that, I don't even know. I can be physically, spiritually, mentally exhausted. Come on, we all get there. Right now, there's a whole spirit of exhaustion. Just, I mean, you would think it would be easier now, but it's not. I tell you what, I will never take for granted again some things. This whole business these past few months has left me utterly bankrupt, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually drained. And if it was not for the Lord ministering to me, keeping my lamp lit, keeping my heart filled, keeping my spirit filled, church, we cannot afford to neglect our relationship with God. You say, well, pastor, you know, so much, so busy. So, hey, listen, busy is never going to go away. Matter of fact, I think if I see the future, I'm not a prophet, but if you're asking me, it's going to get busier yet. Amen. I, I, you know, I, I, I have, I, there, there's some things that I've been neglecting around my own house, some things I've been neglecting on the jobs, and things I've been neglecting uh, with the, you know, I, I still, there's things here that got to be done at church, physical things that have been neglected. But I tell you what, the one thing we cannot neglect Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I worry about this. Maybe I worry about anything more than anything else in the present moment. Because we are not coming together, because many are not coming at all, it's very difficult as a pastor to gauge where people are at in their own spiritual lives. Now, I know we have a, a mature congregation. I I'm very thankful for the flock that I have. It does not need the constant oversight that some do. Most in this flock are very spiritually mature and, and can be trusted to govern their own spiritual walk effectively. But just because we're spiritually mature, there's also a temptation there to think that we've arrived at some place where we do not need to do the daily work. Are you beginning every day with the Lord? Are you beginning every day with your, your face in the Word of God and your hands lifted to heaven in worship and prayer? They tell you when you're on an aircraft, they give you that little speech. If we get into trouble, these oxygen masks are going to pop down. You know the speech I'm talking about? The oxygen mask is going to pop down. And the thing they tell you over everything else is put yours on first. Before you worry about anybody else, before you worry about your child, your spouse, the person sitting next to you, put yours on first because if you pass out, you can't help anybody. Believers, you must tend to your own gardens. You must minister and be ministered to by the Lord daily, every moment. Notice, you know, we, we've, used, we've adopted this term, the midnight cry, to describe the sudden appearance of Jesus Christ. And that's, that, that's a very apt way. Because midnight is the time where we are, we are, we are, are most drowsy, are most, uh, are, are, are most uh, unaware, unalert. There's no time at midnight. The stores are closed. The, the sellers are, 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 are abed. They're asleep. There's no time at midnight. If you have not done the diligence during the day, and there's even pieces of this. I wish I had time just to teach on this parable just by itself because there's, 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 a, very simple, there's a very simple reason why they needed the oil. It's midnight. You will not find the bridegroom in the dark. When you go to look, you will not find your way. You will be lost. And many are losing their way because of their neglect of their own personal relationship. Your own personal devotion. Your own personal worship. 
and fellowship with God. Pastor, I go to church, I listen to the Bible study, I'm I'm connected. You're connected to the church, but are you connected to God? Don't substitute one for the other. Don't substitute one for the other. Church provides a great opportunity for you to connect with God. Absolutely. We feel and know His presence is here. But just by the, but the mere fact of you showing up does not mean you've connected to that presence. There are people sitting in churches all across this nation, all across the world today, who will be in the presence of the Lord, but the presence of the Lord is not in them. And one does not mean the other. You can walk into a church that's Holy Ghost filled, Pentecostal shouts, people falling down, dancing, floating, whatever's going on there, and walk out without any personal connection having been made the same as you were when you walked in. And it will only get worse throughout that week. The the principle of the foolish and the wise is based on this principle of neglect. The wise do their preparation early. They get up early and they make sure they have what they need to get through that day. If it comes that day, we're ready. We've connected. We've filled. We've got the fullness of the Lord, the fullness of His joy, the fullness of His grace, His peace. The foolish think, ah, Sunday's coming up. I can make it till then. He probably won't come before then. And they neglect. They neglect. Third story he tells. Again, the same contrast. The same contrast between the the, the faithful steward and the unfaithful steward, between the industrious and the lazy. So we're talking about our faithfulness to ministry. If we are, what kind of people are we to be if we expect Jesus to come? We're to be a watchful people, always on our guard, always prepared. We're to be faithful to the ministries to which we are called. We're to be faithful in our personal relationship and our personal devotion. And then in this passage, I think we can walk away from this saying we are to be faithful with the resources God has given us. I don't want to go too deeply into talents and money and, and, and what five means, what two means, what one means. That, that's for a different kind of class and a different kind of setting. But I just want you to understand this basic principle. Let's get the basic principle first, and then we can, we can go into the other stuff. But the basic principle is this that God has invested in each one of us. God has given to each one of us both gifts and talents and resources from the natural and the supernatural realms. Those resources are not ours to squander as we, as our carnal desire would lead us. Those resources are not ours to use for our own self-glorification. Those resources are not ours to use in the, in, in the expenditure of trying to get more of this world. Those resources come from God and they are to be used for His glory, His kingdom, and His business. In the parallel chapter in Luke that talks about the same thing, he begins with these words, Occupy until I come. We are to be about the king's business, using the king's resources to expand the king's kingdom. Now we can identify those resources in both a natural and spiritual way. Certainly each one of us has been given a certain amount of physical gifts and talents and abilities, certain things that God has invested into each one of us. We're to use those things as gifts from God. He's also put into our hand a certain amount of physical resource. Homes, cars, money, position, power, influence. We all have, we all have different uh, degrees. Some of you, I would dare say most of you have more money than me. But what little I have, I will give an account for what has been put into, into, my, into my hands. I'm not just talking about tithing. That's, 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 the, that, that, that's, that's certainly a... A biblical idea, and I support it 100%. But every 
But tithing only focuses on 10. And I believe God's going to, account, to call us into account for 100%. Everything that's put into our hands, including our, our own natures, our own personalities, our own, our own intellect, our own wisdom, God is going to say, I've, I've put these investments in you so that you can increase and grow and be fruitful in the task to which I have given you. And then if we take it out of the natural realm and we bring it into the supernatural realm, there are gifts from the Holy Spirit. One of the most powerful gifts I believe that God has given the believers, we despise it sometimes, the gift of tongues. I don't mean to say, that, that's not to single that out above all the others because all the others matter just as much. All spiritual gifts matter. But I use this because it's the most common with which we are familiar we don't run into many prophets unless you count all the people that self-identify. I, I take that for whatever level you want to take that at. But at least once in your life you've heard people speak in tongues. How will, what is this gift for? The Bible tells us it is for intercession. It is for intercession. When you don't know how to pray, when you don't know what to pray, it is for intercession. No, well, brother, it's just a sign that you've been filled and that's it. After that, you... Oh, my goodness. Church, I tell you this. You want, you want a generation of intercessors to be born in the church? Let them get filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And let them pray in tongues. The Spirit Himself, with groanings which cannot be uttered, maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God has given us this incredible resource. And we use it as a plaything in church. I'm not against speaking in tongues in church, by all means. By all means. I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. But if the only place you speak in tongues in church and the only time you speak in tongues in church is when there's some kind of hot Holy Ghost revival going on, you have missed the point of this resource. You've missed it completely. Because this is a gift where God says you can bypass the natural mind and go right to the mind of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit searches what? The deep things of God. The things that are not known to the natural mind. The things that are not perceived. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. But God has given us His Spirit where we can plumb the depths of God's heart and God's mind and God's will and bring it to bear on every situation and circumstance. No gift is more abused. No gift is more wasted in the church of God of today. A resource that we're going to have to account for. A resource, every resource that He's given us, spiritually, financially, physically. I write to you young men because you are strong. Because you have physical strength. There's things you can do that the old and the weak cannot do. I write to your fathers because you have some wisdom and some knowledge. I tell you what, one of the great, one of the, again, talk about wasted resources. The servant, the lazy servant who hides it in the ground. There are some of you who have served God 50 or more years. You have a lifetime of experience and knowledge and understanding in the ways of God. And we're losing in an entire generation because you won't open your mouths and invest in the next generation and pass on what you've known, what you've learned, what you've taught. I'm speaking to everyone. This is not just the people who are here. Do you really think God gave you all of those understandings and revelation and gave you all of that wisdom for you just to sit there quietly doing nothing, watching while our young people make shipwreck of their lives 
Amen. Come on, I'm talking about accountability. We are going to answer for having the resources that God has given to us. Notice each of these stories ends in great blessing, great reward for those who were found to be faithful. Thank God. It's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. When you get weary in well-doing, remember, it's not for nothing. When you seek to give up, remember, there is great reward in our service to God. Beyond just the eternal life, which by itself would be a great reward. It is a great reward. But we are to be always abounding, immovable, steadfast, right? Because why? Because we know our labor is not in vain in the Lord. For those who are found to be faithful at His return, oh, what joy, oh, what glory awaits. I don't want to pass over that. I don't want to pass that by and treat that like that. That's not a big deal. I tell you what, when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I do not want to be ashamed. I don't care if my house is bigger than your house. That's not true. I care a little bit. Not enough to throw me off course, but I care a little bit. Amen. I don't care because it's going to be some you know, nice house. I care because it's going to be a testimony that I was a good and wise and faithful servant. And that's my heart's desire. That's my heart's desire. I don't care if I get to rule ten cities or a hundred or a thousand. But I care a little. A thousand is more than a hundred. And a hundred is more than ten, right? I'd like to be counted as one who is worthy and faithful. A good steward. A good master of the resources of the kingdom. I'd like to be that. So when I stand before the throne of God and He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, I don't mind telling you that that's going to mean everything to me. That's going to mean the world to me. I'm going to res- I-, I-, I will be so... You know, I- my earthly father, I've always wanted to make him proud. He's such a great man of God, such a great minister, such a great pastor. I've always felt... I was never, I've never been his equal as a pastor. I've never been his equal. I, I just, you know, he's always been on a pedestal to me. And I've always just wanted to live up to that. I don't know if you've got somebody in your life that you just, they're just on that pedestal to you. Maybe it's not fair to them. To, it's probably not fair to my father to put him on that pedestal. But boy, I tell you what, every, every step I've taken as a pastor, everything I've done as a pastor has been with, I want my father to be proud. I want him to, I've never wanted to do anything as as a minister, as a pastor, that would in any way make him feel like, boy, boy, I wish that boy had gone and done something else with his life. Amen? I don't know, I don't know, maybe you don't even respect your fathers, I don't know, I I have tremendous respect for my father. I want him to, I want want him to look at my ministry as a legacy of of his very own. And see that I learned the lessons, and I, I followed the, the footsteps, and I, I kept the faith, right? Isn't that the goal? To keep the faith. I want my son to follow after me with that same attitude. Keep that faith. But as much as I desire to be pleasing to him, I am burning with the desire to be found pleasing to the one who's called me. I want more than anything to be pleasing to him. When I look at him, and I've let him down so many times, and I know there's so much he could hold against me. But when he looks at me, if he smiles and says, you did a good job, son, I tell you what, the load that's going to lift off my spirit, the relief, the joy, the pleasure, the excitement, the thrill that's going to flow through my being when the one who died for me and the one who came for me says, well done. Well done. Isn't that what you want to hear? Is there anything else you would want to hear more than that? Well done. I believe in positive reinforcement. I believe we should seek the reward, not just to avoid the punishment. And he says there's a reward, and that's what I long for. But we must not be ignorant of the punishment either. Because he also says for those who have been found to be neglectful, slothful, that's a good old King James word right there, the slothful, the lazy, 
Notice at the end of chapter 24 here, he says they will have, they will be appointed their portion with who? With the hypocrites. I tell you what, nothing stings me more than to be called a hypocrite. You can call me a lot of things. I've got really thick skin. You can probably figure that out. But to be called a hypocrite is about the most insulting thing you can say to me. To my knowledge, I have never done anything for the Lord insincerely. Lord, search my heart. If you found fault with me, let me know. I don't always, you know, I'm not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. But my desire and intent has, I believe, with my conscience as witness, has always been sincere. My desire has always been sincere. I haven't always done it right. I haven't always done it the way it should have been done. But my heart was sincere in doing it. I've worked my whole life to avoid becoming cynical, to becoming, avoid becoming manipulative, to, to avoid just going through the motions of ministry. I know ministers like that, and oh, it grieves my heart. Grieves my heart to see. I've heard how ministers will talk about their flock sometimes when they don't think anybody's listening. Oh, it breaks my heart. I boast of the people that God has given me. And I sing their praises. This charge of hypocrisy to me is more damning and more condemning than, than, than to be called apostate, than to be called, than to be called even, even a, 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 I don't know what the worst number name you could call. But on that day, Jesus is going to say, some of you were, were faithful and true, and some of you were hypocrites. You professed to be doing my work, but you were really only concerned about yourself. You professed to be all about my kingdom, but truthfully it was only your kingdom you were ever interested in building. You professed to have a personal relationship with me, but the only time it ever came out was you were like Saul with the prophets, if you know that story. Put Saul in the company of the prophets, and boy, that man could prophesy. But his heart, his heart was not right with God. I don't want to lay this charge to anybody. I just want you to consider the contrast that Jesus makes in all three cases. Reward for the sincere and the faithful and those who stood their ground and stayed their post and kept the work and kept watching and kept waiting and were faithful. And the hypocrite who goes into where there's suffering, anguish, and eternal separation. What kind of people should we be in the light of the knowledge of the Lord's return? Let's stand together this morning. Let's consider that thought for a moment. Before we partake, we have those joining us on the phone line this morning. We want to symbolize our connection with them and symbolize the connection of the entire body with the taking of the Lord's communion. But before we do so this morning, let's just consider what is our current attitude? You may come and serve yourself. What is our current attitude toward the Lord's return? Are we anxious about it? Are we unsettled? Do we have something going on right now in our life that maybe, maybe we find that we are a little bit ashamed of? Something that we don't want the Lord to, to bring to light when He comes? Now is the time. Now is the time. Maybe our ministry, because of, I, I don't know, I don't want to say this this way, but you know, some, I, I'm just going to speak in general terms, Some have used these recent months as sort of a way to take vacation. Well, you know, we can't go on doing what we used to do, so we might as well do nothing. That that can't be the answer. I, I I don't know what the answer is, but that can't be the answer. 
There's a way for ministry to go forward. There's a way to still teach, still preach, still pray. Even when we can't do it the way we used to do it, there's still, we, we figured it out. Phones still work. The Internet still works. Nothing else. I believe the mail still goes, doesn't it? <laughs> Amen. That's how they used to do it back in the day, wasn't it? Before we got all this technology. Write somebody a letter. Tell them about Jesus. Amen. Has our personal relationship with Christ suffered? Have we let, I don't know, the fire go down? Have we let the oil drain out? Are we just excited? Are we as excited today about being a Christian as we were the day we got saved? Are we as are we as in love with Jesus as we were when we got saved? What about the resources? What about those gifts? Those things that He's put in your hand? Those things He's put in your heart, put in your mind. Are we maximizing? Are we maximizing those abilities, those resources? Doing all things as under the Lord for His glory and the expansion of His kingdom. Notice the fruitfulness in each of those situations. Let's consider. Let's consider. And as we pray this morning, if we have any cause to be concerned about any of these matters, let's make it right now. Because the Lord may come before we finish this prayer. Mighty Father, God in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, precious Holy Spirit, we come before you today as one body. We come before you, Lord, with the certain knowledge, the assurance, the, 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 the absolute certainty that your return is not only going to be soon, but it's going to be at a time when we are least looking for it. Father, you said it won't matter. It won't matter the day or the hour. No one will know that. But what we can know, what we do know, is that we have the capacity to be faithful. You've given us the resources of your Word and your Spirit and the body of Christ and the temple of the Holy Ghost that we could be faithful and be found at your appearing in the category of the wise, in the category of the profitable, in the category of the faithful. Lord, we know there are many today who if you were to come this very moment would be counted with the hypocrites. God, we pray for them. Holy Spirit, touch their hearts. Touch their souls. Let them not think that the form of godliness is sufficient if they have not the power. Let them not think that the outward profession is the same as the inward transformation. Those who've neglected you, those who've put off doing what they were called to do, those who've taken their abilities and, and the gifts and the resources and wasted them, Oh God, we lift them up before your throne this morning. We pray that there will be none found such at Lighthouse Church of God. That there will be none found such in this body of believers. Oh God, we pray for the sense of urgency, for the time we're living in, to truly, oh God, be reflected in our personal and our ministerial and our steward relationship with you, God. Search our hearts. See if it is so, Holy Spirit. And if it is not, make it so. This very hour, this very moment, touch my heart, touch my mind, touch my soul. Oh, Spirit of the living God, raise up within me a new strength, a new passion, a new fervor, to be ready for your return. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Hallelujah. Bless the living God today. Bless the living God today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God bless you today. Greet each other in the Lord and be back at the appointed time. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org. Or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.